in the new year with a relatively quiet January WASD that put focus back on weather in the Southern Hemisphere. What do farmers need to know as we get into 2022? That's today on Field Posts. is a DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. The January WASD dropped Wednesday, January 13th, but attention quickly shifted back to the global crop after USDA affirmed that the 2021 harvest in the U.S. turned out mostly as expected. DTN's Todd Holtman joins us today to unpack the latest on global stocks and to discuss how he's monitoring news about inflation, high fertilizer prices, supply chains, and COVID-19 as we move into the first quarter of the new year. We'll discuss domestic and international demand shifts, possible regional pressures on planting intentions, and basis and other price expectations. Then we'll dig into the strength of the U.S. dollar and the effects of higher freight costs right after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential, more than ever, to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent, trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at mydtn.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show. DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman joins us today to discuss the January world supply and demand estimates. Todd, I'm curious what your expectations going into this report were, and were those borne out with what you saw in the numbers earlier this week? Yeah, I knew we would have to start with the formalities of the crop estimates. The January report gives us year-end estimates for both corn and soybean crops in 2021, so I knew we would have to address that first. Now, we didn't expect much change from the December numbers, and in fact, we did not get much change, but we did get what are considered official final estimates, but there's always subject to revision later, as we know from USDA reports. We had to start with that. On uh, corn, 15.1 billion bushels is the official crop. It's the second largest ever uh, on record. We did have a record yield of 177 bushels an acre for soybeans. We're looking at 4.435 billion bushel crop. Now, that was just up slightly from December, but it was enough to become a new uh, record total harvest, which is pretty amazing when you consider about the drought that we've talked about most of the year, that we could still eke out a record soybean crop. The yield there was 51.4. That was not a record yield, but not far from the record at 52 even. From there, the rest of the day and the rest of the reef really involved demand estimates for the large part. And that's where a lot of the questions were coming into this report. 
Before we get to some of those demand questions, I'm curious how markets reacted seeing these numbers and in terms of just trade expectations, was there much surprise that this report ended up quieter than maybe some people expected? Yeah. So it, it was a little different actually for all three grains. For corn, I would say the numbers were fairly neutral and corn prices ended down two cents on the day. So I think that was a match with uh, how things turned. For soybeans, there wasn't necessarily, there were some surprises we'll talk about in the U.S. numbers, but I think the surprise of the day was how willing USDA was to cut the soybean crop estimates for both Brazil and Argentina, and that gave soybean prices a lift. They were up 12 and some change on the day. And then in the case of wheat, we saw a little higher ending stocks estimate for the U.S. than was expected. A lot of that fell onto the hard red winter wheat crop. And so we saw that Kansas City wheat crop trade down 13 cents on the day. Let's get into some of those demand situations. Let's start with corn. Talk to us a little bit about what the demand picture looks like there, especially on the domestic side. Yeah, a lot of us thought we might see a slightly lower ending stocks number for corn because we were anticipating and hoping that USDA would acknowledge this very strong pace of ethanol production that we've seen in the first quarter uh, of the season so far. And USDA did come through on that. They increased the ethanol estimate by 75 million bushels. It's now up to 5.325 billion bushels. And I think better reflect the higher pace of production that the year started with. There was an offsetting surprise, however, though, because USDA also took down the export estimate for corn by 75 million bushels. I really didn't expect that because really corn exports have been close to their estimated pace this year, but that that was a surprise and it offset uh, any benefit from increasing the ethanol estimate. At the end of the day, we ended up with a slightly higher ending stocks estimate of 1.54 billion bushels, largely because the crop estimate was a little higher than a month ago. That's basically what that came down to. As far as an ending stock to use ratio, though, it basically stayed the same at 10%. And we also see USDA kept its average farm price estimate unchanged at $5.45 a bushel. I'm curious about that export figure and how that fits into kind of the global picture that USDA is watching for corn. What role is, one, demand out of China playing in that? And then, two, the crop season that is going on in Brazil and Argentina and elsewhere in Latin America? Yeah, it's good you asked that, Sarah. And China is still the very interesting part of the export equation this year. USDA is expecting China to import roughly a billion bushels of corn from all sources. Here in the U.S., they're down for 486 million bushels. So they're, they're, they've signed up for roughly half of that amount here from the U.S., but they signed up for that back in May, and they haven't really shown much interest or activity in the U.S. market since that time. We also see in Wednesday's figures that USDA increased the corn crop estimate for Ukraine, and that bumped up Ukraine's export estimate by a million metric tons. So I, I think a lot of us are concerned that China may get the balance of their corn needs from Ukraine. They, Ukraine certainly has the corn and the ability and of course, they're geographically closer uh, to supply those needs. I have to wonder if that was a part of the message uh, that USDA was sending here on Wednesday, that maybe we should not expect as much coming from China as uh, they earlier did. 
before we switch uh, gears and talk a little bit more about soybeans, what is the basis picture for corn looking like as we begin 2022? The basis, the first few months of this new season and as we enter 2022, the basis has remained very impressively strong. Roughly, we have corn prices in the high $5 a bushel range throughout the Midwest. And the, the impressive thing to me is how these price quotes are spread out fairly evenly across the map. It's not like Indiana and Illinois have the big advantage as they often do, but uh, the benefits are spread widely. And I think largely because of the strong demand we've had from the ethanol plants really spread the benefits of that corn demand. On our national index, we're still just 10 cents under the March contract, which is one of the firmest basis readings for this time of year that we've seen in nine years. Switching gears here to talk a little bit about soybeans, which I think was a little bit more of the show stealer for this report. Talk about the world markets. We're watching, obviously, Latin America very closely as their harvest comes to fruition. Big weather market down there. Talk to us about how that's playing into the numbers we saw in this report. Yes, early in the season, things were looking very good for Brazil's crop. They got their crop planted early. They had a lot of rain, especially in the central and northern region in Mato Grosso. Their largest state has had very good conditions, lots and, and lots of soil moisture available to them. But then as the season progressed, it became increasingly obvious that southern Brazil and also Argentina were not getting the same rain amounts and have actually developed quite a dry pattern that uh, our meteorologists would contend is related to the La Nina influence, which we're in at this time. So those dry conditions uh, in both Southern Brazil and Argentina have dialed down crop estimates. Before the report, we saw private crop estimates going into the low 130 range for million metric tons on Brazil's soybean crop. On Tuesday, Brazil's crop agency, CONAB, came out and lowered their estimate to 140.5 million metric tons. That was seen as a cautious reduction. So the question was, what would USDA do on Wednesday? Would they also be cautious the way Brazil's crop agency was? And actually, I would say USDA stepped up and had pretty decent reductions here Wednesday for both Brazil and Argentina. In the case of Brazil, they took their December estimate of 144 million tons down to 139, and they took Argentina's soybean estimate of 49.5 million metric tons down to 46.5 million metric tons. So out of those two countries, they took 8 million metric tons right off of the top there, and I think that was perhaps a little more aggressive than uh, many of us expected USDA would be in this report. I think that's what gave soybeans the lift at the end of the day. And what kind of pressure is that putting on, you know, domestic crush markets and then also demand, the China demand picture as well as other global markets? Yes. Now, the, the part of those export estimates that are tied to our crush here at home really comes through the back door of Argentina because Argentina is the world's largest exporter of meal and oil. But where there looks like they're going to be impaired by drought again this year, they also have river levels that are low the way they contended with last year. And that's going to disrupt and hinder their ability to do business and move products. So that's supporting the meal and the oil prices here in the U.S., and even before the weather concerns erupted, we already saw a strengthening of our meal price here in the U.S. for other reasons. So the crush value has become a very strong and rising source of support 
for our U.S. soybean demand. It's actually some of the highest premiums that we've seen historically. And when you take the value of meal and oil here in the U.S., right now it's roughly about $2.70 a bushel above the cost of the soybean. So that's very strong incentive to keep our crush plants going. Surprisingly, USDA did not change its estimate of the U.S. crush total or the export total for soybeans. And I have to scratch my head about that, but I'm sure they'll save it for another month. I want to switch gears and talk about wheat, but um, first I want to check in on that soybean basis. We saw a little bit of an uptick from this report and this information for soybeans. What has that been looking like at the farm gate for folks looking to do some marketing here in January? Overall, we've seen a a very healthy increase in the soybean price in the past month. It's up over a dollar a bushel on average across the Midwest. So our DTN soybean index is at 13.43 as of the report day. That puts puts it at a basis of roughly 44 cents below the March contract. That may not sound that terrific, but actually for this time of year, it's still the strongest in eight years. Again, I think thanks to those higher crush values, we're seeing very good soybean bids around the country for a time of year when prices are normally depressed and still hanging low from harvest. Want to check in on those wheat numbers? Didn't seem like as much changed maybe in this part of the report as elsewhere, but check us in on what's going on in terms of wheat figures in the U.S. and how the global picture is playing into that. Yes. The ending stocks number, which is the main number that everybody looks at first, increased from 598 million bushels to 628 million bushels. So that's the new ending stocks estimate for the current season. And that increase of 30 million bushels came basically from two sources. We saw a 25 million bushel increase in the or excuse me, a 25 million bushel reduction in the feed demand estimate for wheat. And we also saw a 15 million bushel reduction in the export estimate for wheat. So those two things together accounted for most of the change that we saw to the ending stocks total. Now, the the export estimate on wheat was no surprise. We continue to see really a poor pace of wheat exports this year, but It's largely because our our wheat supplies are much lower than they typically have been. And so it's just goes with the turf of having lower wheat supplies. The cut in the the feed demand also is a function of just how expensive that wheat has been lately. And so it's made corn and other things more attractive. Speaking of those kind of shifts there, I think now that the January report is out and we have some amount of certainty around how last year wrapped up, I think a lot of focus being turned towards planting intentions and what the plans are for the 2022 crop season. When you looked at this report, do you think it's going to inform planting in a way that changes what your expectations might have been in the last few months? I can't say that it's changed my view of planting yet. And um, probably the biggest hurdle we're still looking at are high fertilizer prices, and they really have not come down an inch. Anhydrous is still over $1,400 a ton. So that continues to be a concern at planting time. But again, as I talk to producers around the country, it still seems like for the most part, especially in the central and eastern Corn Belt, where they tend to have very high yields, and are not as threatened by the possibility of drought. I think the, the corn will still hold up in the, in the normal corn-soybean rotation. 
it's in the Western Corn Belt, I think, where there's a risk of losing some of the corn acres to uh, wheat or some other possibilities. We've, we've got high cotton prices this year. Sorghum's still doing well. There's a, a lot of crops out there that are fairly high priced right now. So it's in the Western areas where I think some of the corn acres might be enticed away a little bit. Yeah. And speaking of those, fertilizer prices are, I think, the tip of the spear in terms of the way we've seen inflation manifest in the farm economy. But we just saw some numbers come out this week. Inflation in the U.S. at a 40-year high nearly. Talk a little bit about how are you seeing those numbers play into ag markets at the moment? And do you expect that to shift it all going forward as I think there was an expectation at some point that maybe this inflation was directly related to supply chain issues, but it seems like there might be a little bit more to it than that. Yeah. So the the inflation I'm most concerned about, and you hit it on the head when you said fertilizer prices being the tip of the spear, that's really, I think, the largest pain point in the ag economy at the moment. And I think it's fair to say that largely is a supply chain issue. It's a logistical issue. It's an an issue where we've become too dependent on production from outside of the country. All kinds of problems feeding into that high fertilizer situation at the moment. In general, if you look at the consumer price index, the the largest offenders on that list still are clearly the, the energy sector prices and one that is still clearly related to the financial damage that was wreaked during the pandemic. And we saw lots of bankruptcies in the oil and gas sector. It's very difficult to get that oil production back. It is slowly coming back, but we're still down about 1.3 million barrels a day of U.S. oil production here in the U.S. from before the pandemic times. And world-related, we're still down about 800,000 barrels a day from where oil production was before the pandemic. So really it's, in my mind, it's still quite a mess that I think is in lots of ways more difficult to solve than if it was just monetary inflation broadly across the board. The whole trying to recover from the the hit that we've taken from the pandemic and the way it's really gnarled up our transportation and logistical issues is just not easy to solve. And it's there's just not a short fix uh, available, no matter how high the interest rate goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot to watch on the Fed side. I've seen a lot of interesting headlines related to that as we go forward. But I'm curious, you know, something we haven't talked as much about on this podcast that has become, I think, more of a focus, more of interest to folks is the dollar, the strength of the dollar and how that's shifting as inflation works its way through the economy and how that affects our export and importability. Are you watching the dollar closely right now? Are you concerned about what you're seeing? And as you are talking to farmers or or sharing this information, how should people be paying attention to those kind of currency shifts? Yes. The way I see the market currently, Sarah, is to me, the fact that the dollar is holding its value, we're still about the highest price in over a year. And it's not really been volatile lately. To me, that's still a positive sign overall that the economy is recovering generally. We are slowly getting jobs back. And I continue to be optimistic that we're going to outweather and outlast these variant threats that keep coming at us. So in that regard, I see the dollar as a positive overall. Now, I know 
everybody realizes in the ag community that a higher dollar means more expensive exports for us. And sometimes that can be more difficult. But this year with the weather related issues we have in South America, it's really the supply expectations that are uh, much bigger factors at play as far as the exports go right now. And we can't really blame low wheat exports on the dollar at the current moment. We're simply in the wrong part of the world geographically, number one. And it happens to be a time of year when our supplies are much uh, lower than usual. So Europe and Russia will always have a natural advantage on the wheat exports because of where they're located. And, and that's just uh, the way things are. In terms of corn and soybeans, it really uh, continues to be about who has the cheaper soybeans related to supplies at the moment. And of course, with Brazil coming up on what still looks like a record harvest, even though they've had uh, drought problems, Brazil soybeans are much cheaper than you, the U.S. And the currency difference only explains a very tiny part of that. It's really more about the supply right now. And Brazil has the soybeans and, and they happen to be much cheaper than ours, as you would normally expect at harvest time. As part of that equation, we've talked a little bit about supply chain, but I'm curious about with energy prices going up, cost of freight is also rising. Are we seeing that play into these import-export calculations as well? And do you think that is likely to become a bigger part of this calculation over time? Or do you think that's largely priced in where we're at? The higher shipping costs and transportation costs, I think, add to the overall lower pace of exports that we're seeing generally this year. And we have seen some improvement for the, the cost of those Panamax shipments are down roughly 25% from where they peaked at in October, but they haven't moved much lately. So there, there is some progress being made in normalizing that situation, but it's very slow. And I think related to a lot of the other shipping problems, it's just going to take, I, I think, at least six months to iron this stuff out. I'm optimistic overall, but certainly nothing in the short term of anything magical or miraculous happening. It definitely takes time. And I think that's, I want to ask you a question about COVID because I think we're we're starting to see stories again about supply chain disruptions and empty grocery store shelves and things like that. And yeah. despite the fact that we are currently dealing with a, a COVID variant that is less, leads to less hospitalizations and, and possibly less deaths, that doesn't mean that people aren't out sick from work and that's having an impact both domestically and abroad. And I wonder how, as you are keeping an eye on Omicron as it develops and, and as it moves through our, our economy and society, are you seeing these changes having big impacts on ag markets? Yes, they've had big, big changes on our ag markets ever since this whole virus erupted in 2020. But I just continue to point out that the numbers continue to support gradual improvement. So the number of jobs in the U.S. economy is back within about two and a half million of where they were before the pandemic. That's the best. It, it continues to show a little gradual improvement each month. Oil production, like I mentioned, we're back within 1.3 million barrels a day of oil production. So all the, the kind of main artery indicators continue to show gradual but slow improvement as we return and it's funny because it doesn't really match the headlines, if you notice. Our new cases of coronavirus are just off the charts. Over one and a half million cases cited just on Monday earlier uh, this week. So that sounds horrible. It is horrible. But this time around, I think we're doing a much better job of 
continuing to function and keep finding ways to go to work and move the economy forward. And we got to get these goods transported and, and shipped. So we got to get things moving again. And we're slowly getting there, but it's a painful process. And sometimes the headlines don't quite match the underlying reality. Absolutely. I think that is such a good transition into my last question, which is it's January, New Year. Folks are trying to make some decisions here going into the 2022 crop season. And there's always a tremendous amount of uncertainty, it seems like in the last couple of years. But I'm curious, as folks are trying to stay on top of the markets and the financial picture for this year, should farmers be paying attention to announcements from the Fed or to jobs reports? What are some of the factors or the information outside of just straight up market numbers that folks should be paying attention to that might impact prices or demand later this year? My advice, Sarah, is turn off the TV. Uh, Other than (laughs) take a look at that corn price. It's close to $6. Good grief. Is that not a good, if, if you have any old crop corn left, is that not a good price to take advantage of? And don't get caught up in trying to outguess the next weather forecast for South America. That's a volatile, very tough game to play. We've got soybeans well into the 13s, almost $14 in some areas. Go back to your books, check with the wife, look at your production costs, and ask yourself, aren't these some very good prices to take advantage of to make my work last year worthwhile? So that would be my number one contention. Don't get overly caught up in uh, trying to stay up with every bit of news and, and trying to predict the future, but look at the reality of the opportunity you're being given right now. And then also start thinking about the year ahead. If you don't have your fertilizer yet, obviously that's going to be uh, a big concern. But if you know your input costs, then start taking a look at the opportunities for the new crop sales. You can read Todd's full analysis and up-to-the-minute reporting on all things ag markets at dtnpf.com or at the DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer. A special thanks to Todd Holtman. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until then, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Weather Station. Are you looking to get more accurate, hyper-local weather information? By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your own fields, DTN Ag Weather Station supports you when making targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical applications and irrigation. DTN's Ag Weather Station can be purchased for as low as $9 a month depending on your current customer status with DTN. If you're looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.